Welcome to the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio, the most listened to immigration podcast in the known universe. That's still true, David, right? It is. Would I lie to you? No, would I? I don't know you. Am I I a politician? Trust me, I'm from the government. I'm here to help you. Uh, it's uh, it's great to be with you. David, there's an election going on here in our area. We have a lot of listeners from out of state, but GA6 is uh, drawing not only national attention, but buku bucks uh, from outside the bucks. country. Lots of bucks for both sides. Uh, but certainly Mr. Ossoff uh, is raking in the dough. Uh, my guess is in his re-election campaign, he's going to be hard-pressed to raise the tenth of the amount of money he's raising right now. Um, in his re-election campaign, is if, that what well, you're assuming he wins, I mean, here's you know, you and I, David, we we both know of Karen Handel, and you know Karen Handel, and we know, we've been in Fulton County for a very long time, and uh, she is excellent at losing elections. Yeah, you know, she's uh, what two for six right now, uh, and uh, may end up being two for seven uh, if she loses this race. Uh, there is no reason for her to lose this race, right? I mean, she's in a majority Republican district where but she I, is well-known. But isn't it anymore? Oh, no, it's still clearly a majority Republican district uh, as far as the way it was drawn eight years ago or seven years ago after the census. Um, but the reality is that both parties have lost membership at the independents have risen. Uh, but there's certainly far more percentage-wise Republicans than Democrats live in this district. That's quite clear. Uh her campaign, I think, has been remarkably poorly run. I have spoken to several people on the inside of her campaign, uh, and it's quite obvious that um, they think attacking John Ossoff rather than proposing things about what she's going to do uh, is the way to go. Um, whereas Ossoff has run, for the most part, a, a not a negative campaign and has tried to focus on the things he thinks he can make a difference in. Uh, and I think people are kind of responding more to that, although he shows so little emotion. Uh, even when he debates, he's just, you know, what they call him, Mr. Roboto is what they called him in one of the debates. Uh, he's very Al Gore-like, uh, but without the personality, so to speak. And I've actually talked to, to, to Ossoff, and I said, you know, you need to get, you know, ratchet up the emotion a little bit. And he says, I believe in data. So, well, you probably want to believe in emotion a little bit, too, if you really want to get this race going, uh, because I think he could beat her. I think it's quite obvious right now. The the, uh, the early votes are coming in are huge, huge. They're huge, David. You can't believe how huge right, they is, are. Uh, what do you think that means? Uh, we know that Republicans don't vote early. I mean, historically, they just don't. They're especially older Republicans are more used. I want to go to the poll on election day. Well, election day this year falls on a Tuesday in June. Uh, you're going to get far fewer turnout, I think, on Election Day than you have in other Election Days uh, in the past, percentage-wise, of the vote. Uh, but this is, the, I think, the largest early voting to date of any election in Georgia. Uh, and I was at the polls last Thursday, either Wednesday or Thursday. I went to the polls. Yeah, we did, the too. Street, yeah, and Thursday. there was a line. Oh, David, there was a line 15 minutes long when I walked in for me to vote. Right, Around one o'clock, right down here in the North Fulton oh, Annex. Uh, yeah, we went. At, at, we went right at five o'clock. Oh, what the, what, the, what day of the week did you go? Thursday. Okay, Last I went Thursday. Thursday. It was a line, fifteen minutes long, about one o'clock to vote. Damn. And I, I will tell you this, David, there weren't a lot of people in that line that looked like you and me. <laughs> I think I know what that means. You know what that means, right? And so uh, I think that speaks well for Ossoff's early vote. And of course, he crushed in the early vote in, in the primary. 
he crushed the early vote. I don't know, 65% or 64% were Ossoff voters in early voting. Uh, and I think um, what you see here is a lot of the people that he pushed to register are actually voting. Uh, and they voted. They registered something like twelve or 15,000 new voters during the period after the, the registration closed and the court ordered it reopened. So there is, there's a lot more people voting in this general than there were in the primary eligible to vote. And there weren't a lot of Republicans signing up for that. Is, that, is, it, is it Karen Hillary Handel? Is that, is that what her name is? <laughs> it's a, uh, except Karen doesn't have a, a, a Juris doctorate. She doesn't even have a high school diploma. I know. Uh, and the reality is, I, I think she's the wrong candidate. Oh, I, no question. And, uh, and, and Ossoff was begging to run against her. He was praying that if he didn't win the primary, that she would be the candidate. And the fact that Republicans did not get this. See, Karen's got this core people who think Karen is the greatest thing since the invention of sliced white bread. Uh, but the reality is she doesn't do anything. Uh, and I think it's mostly because she doesn't have any real ideas of how to change stuff. And she is running, generally speaking, as far away from Trump as she possibly can without alienating him. I wonder if she was going to be at the syncophatic cabinet meeting that they had yesterday in the White <laughs> House. Uh, you know, she doesn't bring Trump. I'm going to go to D.C. and I'm going to implement Donald Trump's agenda. If she says that, you know what happens? She loses. She loses big time. I'm going to go to D.C., and I'm going to become Donald Trump's uh, uh, doormat in, in the House. She says that, she's definitely going to lose this election. So even though he's making robocalls and Pence is coming down, the invisible vice president, the truly invisible vice president, who pops up every week and goes, Trump is great, and you don't hear from him for a week on his Twitter. Um, so I think it's going to be interesting, this race. Uh, it's going to come down to the wire. I think it's going to be a long night. They don't release the actual who voted for whom before Election Day, right? I mean, that, it's election night at 7 when they say the early vote was X. Because presumably they know right now who voted for whom in the primary, I mean, in, in the early voting. I mean, they, that number, I assume, is tabulated instantaneously since you and I both know we voted on those corrupt machines rather than on paper. I still don't trust those, David. I don't know about you, but I do not trust the machines on this. Uh, but I think this is going to be a fun race down to that night. Um, and I assume you're going to go to the Karen Handel's viewing party at the 7-Eleven. Is that where it is this year? I'm not really quite sure where I it. figured you you were – in fact, didn't I see you with a sign for Ossoff the other day walking up and down Roswell Road? Is that me that was doing that? Is it the big with the, but the, was, it the, was it the billboard one on your shoulders no, or was it the big one above my head? Just the one, the one I was yeah, spinning, yeah, say, yeah. with an arrow coming here? Yeah, it was definitely me. Um, I, I find Ossoff an interesting – Individual, uh, but you know the one thing that actually makes me think more highly of him than of her is he's thirty. Okay, he's a young kid. Uh, my kids are thirty. All right, so I know what young kid does. So he actually has done pretty well for himself. Um, you know, he grew up here in Georgia. Grew up in the district. Went away to college. Uh, on his personal financial statements, he put down he was worth one point five million dollars. You know, he didn't get that from family money. He's only 39. His parents were still in. You know, nobody gave him that money. He earned that money. Karen Handel's personal financial statement, which was joint with her husband, was $300,000. She's in her late 50s, if not early 60s. What? What have you been doing? I mean, I, I just don't get running it. Running for office. Well, apparently. And losing. Losing running for office. So I have a lot of respect for somebody who is, who is taking advantage of 
the opportunities afforded to him by his growing up in Georgia with a good public education, uh, going to college, going to a good college, doing well enough, and, and establishing a career as a filmmaker. I mean, i got to respect a guy who can do that. I don't think anybody could take that away from him. Uh, so I, I'd like to see somebody who's actually contributed to our economy uh, go to Congress. Um, and neither one of them are lawyers, which is actually a, probably a good thing, I think, in many ways. Um, but he has also not run a Trump campaign either. You know, see, you don't see any ads, you know, by him at least, tying, you know, the picture of Handel morphing into Trump. Perhaps they have the same hairstyle, kind of morphing. They just don't really see that. Uh, but you've seen lots of anti-Osoff ads morphing into Hillary, into uh, your friend Nancy Pelosi out in California. Um, I, I'm going to have a. It's going to be a good election night. I'm kind of kind of excited to see it uh, as we go forward. I think Ossoff is David is taking a lot of GOP votes, and Handel's not taking a single Democrat vote. I, I don't think he's taking GOP votes. Oh, I think I'll, he I'll is. I'll disagree with you on that. I think he's taking. But some. I don't. I, I do agree that she's not getting. I don't think she's getting. Uh, the independents are the, or certainly not the Democrats. But did you listen to uh, uh, any of the debates that were on uh, either public television or public radio or television? I, take, I almost take that as an insult. <laughs> <laughs> well, they had them at ra- rather inconvenient times. Like one was like at nine o'clock in the morning, uh, and then re- re- replayed conveniently at five o'clock or six o'clock or something like that. Um, but uh, good to know she doesn't believe in a living wage. You know, that's when you misspeak something like that. Okay, what you don't believe in is a minimum wage. You don't say you don't believe in a living wage. That just makes you sound callous and cold-hearted. Again, more signs that she does not carry with her uh, the ability to convey a message positively to anybody. Um, You know, he had plenty of misstatements as well, I'm sure, but that one just, just struck me. Now, David, this is not the GA6 race hour. This is the immigration hour. And I want to get into – are you sure? I love politics. By the way, we'll give a garden update, David. Uh, I uh, ate some of my first peppers Ah. this week, um, and uh, I had a cherry red tomato out of my greenhouse, but it was very, very tiny, itty-bitty little tiny one out of my greenhouse. Um, my, uh, My string beans are growing, but my weeds are growing even more. Uh, so much so that I will be mowing my garden uh, to, to tonight. <laughs> the weed areas where nothing grew. The rain, David here, has been stunningly immense. I mean, just hey, immense. Did you get a bunch of rain yesterday? Well, not at my house, but maybe my old my garden may have gotten some. Because I I didn't get any, but my wife was saying she drove through the rain. No, it rained yesterday here somewhere. It definitely yeah, rained. Right. It's going to rain every day this week. It's got fifty percent chance of raining. And so my garden has kind of a lower spot, and I mistakenly planted tomatoes there. I don't know what I was thinking. And they, they all have one tomato on them, and they're all about a foot tall. The water is just completely eating them up, so much so that my surface seeds, like basil, things you plant, they, just, they just all washed away. I, uh, <laughs> being the vegetable hour that it is, um, I didn't have time to plant okra, so I bought oh. okra. I planted okra mm-hmm. uh, uh, packets from the from the, yeah, from the, yeah, the plants uh, already, you know. And uh, I've got a critter, uh, and I've got my thing fenced in uh-huh. with uh, rabbit rabbit fencing. Oh yeah, yeah. the small narrow stuff. Yeah. And whatever it is, and the only thing I one of two things. Now I didn't see any footprints, so I don't think it's a deer literally it's jumping my eight, fence, uh, my eight foot fence, but. 
uh, something has gotten in and just and just chewed the okra plants right down to the ground. Well, good news for you is I've got about 50 okra plants growing. Ah, so, so, but I grew from seed, so you're going to be a happy guy here in about, what, about a month and a half or so? Yeah, you know, there ain't nothing better in the world than fried okra. <laughs> it's good stuff. It's yeah, the little ones, not, not the ones that grow oh, no, two no, feet no, long, no. which you're, you actually can't even eat. So. In fact, I, I used to cut my okra all the time before I fried it. Mm-hmm. My wife doesn't fry, so yeah. anyway. But I said, over at, if you go to Marlowe's mm-hmm. and eat, they have fried okra, and they fry the whole Oh, absolutely. Okra. I fry the whole thing. And, oh. Keeps the inside more tender. Yeah, yeah. I mean the whole. I just. Well, David, when I start harvesting, I will bring you a, a bucket of uh, of okra because I've got like fifty plants. It's weird. Eight of my corn plants grew out of like fifty seeds. Corn, just as you know, grows terrible I, here. Yeah, it's eight of them, but all of my okra sprouted every single yeah. seed, and they're kind. Of, I think they're related. In the, some, they're probably being the same family. They grow the same way. So, and my pumpkins are actually growing quite well this year because I planted them in hills this year for the huh. first time. Um, got any watermelon? Um, none, of, uh, none of my watermelons sprouted. Again, they planted in a low area. I think, oh, it'll be wet, right? They'll love it. No, none of them even sprouted. It's just bad. But my grapes are growing well. I had my strawberries come back. My strawberries replanted them, and they are in my greenhouse, yeah. and they are doing wow. Well, mine just came back from the garden. Yeah, well, they, they are perennials. They're supposed yeah. to come back. So um, I think it'll be... Uh, uh, I think I, I finished eating most of my strawberries earlier in the month, but the, even even yesterday, Sunday, I went out and there were still strawberries. I just eat them right there. I don't yeah. bring them in. I just say, oh no, there was no strawberries, honey. <laughs> Pop them in the mouth. <laughs> and my blackberry bush is, is producing again, so we're kind of excited about that. That uh, um, in the area where I do have some seed, some seeds growing and pe- peppers and tomatoes, I have an area where they are growing quite well. And I brought back some very hot peppers from Peru uh, seeds about uh, about. Two months, three months ago, and I planted them for seed and put them in the garden, and they are doing spectacularly well. <laughs> I know that, that we're, we're both going to have to, or I'm going to have to hire uh, undocumented if we're going to continue the show like this. <laughs> but anyway, did you have you uh, planted any of the hot bell peppers? I have not seen any hot bell peppers. They have those now. Yeah, I have not seen any hot. Oh bell yeah, peppers. I had them last year. And uh, I planted them again this year. I'm I'm more favorable towards sweet bells. I just love sweet bells. Oh, I do too. I can eat them. I did have some Cajun bells that I've grown and that I picked, but they weren't very hot so far. At least the they, two that they, I well, eat. when I say hot, they're not jalapeno hot. And they just kind they're of just, a nice little kick to them. Yeah, and just, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, I both love that. I oh yeah. Love that. All right, let's well, take a break. I, we better take our first a, break and come back. When yeah, we come back, yeah. we actually will have the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. Wait, wait, which portion of it? <laughs> Si usted tiene problemas con inmigración o asuntos que tiene que arreglar, llama a los abogados de Cook Immigration Partners. Somos en su lado. Tenemos más de 50 años de experiencia haciendo las leyes de inmigración y defendiendo a los inmigrantes. Llámenos hoy a las 404-816-8611, a las 404-816-8611 o al www.immigration.net. America's Web Radio is the most diverse and informative radio station anywhere in cyberspace. We have shows about health, business, current events, entertainment, home care, and everything in between. We appreciate your continued support of America's Web Radio. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business, or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules, Or, if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 
866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. This is America's WebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to the Immigration Hour, actually the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. David, yesterday was a banner day for immigrant rights uh, and a bad day for Donald Trump. Um, so I want to talk a bit about that. First, David, did you know the Supreme Court issued a decision yesterday on immigration? Did you hear anything about, about that? No, I heard the Ninth District did. Well, we're going to get the Ninth Circuit. Ninth District. Ninth, ninth Circuit. We're going to get that's next. Sorry. But the Supreme Court, we're going to work our way down uh, to the district court level because uh, there was one important decision from each of those yesterday. The Supreme Court issued a decision on citizenship. Now, David, you, you may not be aware of this, but you, but you are aware that if you're born in America, you are a U.S. citizen, generally speaking, unless you're the child of diplomats and then you're not a U.S. citizen. If you're born here, you're only a permanent resident. So you're, you're, everybody in America is aware of that. You're born here, you're a citizen. But there are other ways, and we call that um, uh, uh, citizenship by birth, uh, uh, or what they call in Latin jus sanguine, or citizenship by, by, by uh, uh, no, no, jus solis, which is citizenship by land. But there's another way to acquire citizenship called jus sanguine, which is by blood. So we have had, over the period of our history, uh, a half a dozen immigration laws that deal with how you gain what we call today derivative citizenship if you're born outside of the United States. Um, and so if you're born outside the United States and your mom and or your dad meet certain requirements uh, as far as their U.S. citizenship and their physical presence in the United States, then you yourself may in fact be uh, a United States citizen. Uh, this is important uh, because um, the uh, the Supreme. If I give you a great example, I was born in the Dominican Republic. My dad uh, was a U.S. citizen, grew up in America, lived here for a certain period of time, and, and my mom was also from the same country I was born in and was never a U.S. citizen. Uh, so when you are when you are born, the question becomes, did you, uh, are you a U.S. citizen yourself? So the case that came out of the Supreme Court yesterday, which is called um, Sessions versus Morales Santana, is a fascinating case study in the bizarro world of derivative citizenships. Now, in this case, Mr. Morales Santana has lived in the United States since he was 13 years old and has always believed that he was a United States citizen, citizen from the time of his birth because his father was a U.S. citizen. Okay? Uh, his father is named Jose. Jose moved to the Dominican Republic 20 days short of his 19th birthday. So this is Luis, the son's dad, moved to the uh, Dominican Republic 20 days before he was 19. Now, why is that important, David? Well, under federal law, if you are born in the United States and you want to transfer citizenship to your children born outside the United States and you are a man, then you must, have, must prove that you lived in the United States for five years after 
14 years of age. So in order for Jose to transfer citizenship to Luis, Luis would have to show that Jose, his dad, lived in the United States for five years before the age of 19, uh, or five years after the age of 14 is a better way to say that. Um, He did not. He was literally 20 days short. Now, this is, uh, you know, you talk about the, the cases, David, where there is but for, you know, but for this thing happening an hour later or a day later, I would have. Well, this is, this is the real-life embodiment of that. If uh, Jose the dad had spent literally three more weeks in the United States before he went back to the DR, then this case wouldn't exist. Imagine if you were a time traveler, and you can go back and say, Jose, I know you're leaving tomorrow for the DR, but you can't. You have to wait three weeks. Why? I can't tell you, but it will have major complications in your life. Don't leave for three weeks. If you're a time traveler, you could fix this case. But, David, since we have not, as far as you and I know, invented time travel, as far as you and I know, we don't know that's true or not, but as far as we know, that's one of the unknown unknowns. Um, he moved back and he li- began living with a Dominican woman who gave birth out of wedlock to Jose, the son. I mean, to, out to Luis, the son. Jose accepted parental responsibility and um, uh, Luis was living with him. He ultimately married Luis's mom uh, and his name would, was added to hers on Luis's birth certificate. Back in 2000, okay, so this all happened in uh, honor about um, uh, a long time ago in the 90s. In 2000, uh, uh, Luis, the son, was living in the United States and he was convicted of a crime and the government tried to deport him based upon several different criminal convictions classifying him as a quote alien or as a foreign national without papers at the time of his birth because his father did not satisfy the five years of physical presence after the age of 14. So again, but for those 20 days, they could not put Luis, the son, in deportation proceedings. Um, the immigration judge denied Luis's citizenship claim and ordered his removal. Um, and um, at that point, uh, Santana was put into deportation proceedings and ordered deported. He then apparently didn't get deported, a little unclear from the facts, but didn't get deported. He moved to reopen his case on a very interesting ground. He asserted that the Homeland Security's uh, refusal to recognize his citizenship from his father violated the Equal Protection Clause of the Constitution. Now, David, I have to tell you that I love the Equal Protection Clause of the Constitution. Um, do you know what we you know what clause that is, by the way? Fifth, uh, I think it's in the uh, Fifth Amendment. Um, equal protection under law. Uh, the Board of Immigration Appeals the, the, the said, no, you know, we're going to deny that. But the Second Circuit reversed. And the Second Circuit relied on a Supreme Court interpretation of what equal protection means as it bears to gender classification. So let's, let's look at this. There are two laws under which Luis is arguing he's entitled to citizenship. Now, 1409, which is 308 or 309 of the Immigration Nationality Act, says 
that if your father is a U.S. citizen and has five years of citizenship after the age of 14, then you're a citizen. But there's a different rule that applies to women if the child is born out of wedlock, which is 1401. Um, And so what the Supreme Court has said in a case uh, called, um, uh, I'll have to find this case here, uh, Califano versus West Coast, and JEB versus Alabama, that laws granting or denying benefits on the basis of the sex of the qualifying parent get heightened scrutiny from the Supreme Court because they are likely to be a violation of the Equal Protection Clause of the Constitution. Um, So in this case, the government had to argue that gender-based classification serve some important governmental objectives and that the discriminatory means employed are substantially related to those objectives. So in this case, if there is one law that says a, uh, an illegitimate father can transfer citizenship this way, but an illegitimate mother, uh, and that's probably the wrong word, the unwed mother, can transfer in a different way, there has to be legitimate reason why you're treating the mother and father differently. Now, when this law was written back in uh, 1940s, um, we were lived in a very different society when you think about this. Being an unmed mother was a very, you know, looked on with shame and looked on with... And today, I think a, almost the majority of the births are to single women. Uh, certainly a close number to that. Um, and so there, maybe Congress at the time uh, um, thought about uh, women as the sole guardian perception of unmarried parents. And the court said, according to the stereotype, a residency requirement was justified for unwed citizen fathers who would care little about and have scant contact with their non-marital children. Unwed citizen mothers needed no such prophylactic because the alien father, along with his foreign ways, was presumptively out of the picture. Um, and so the courts now said, you know what? Uh, things have changed. Uh, things have changed. So if you look at section uh, 1409A as far as mother and 1409C for father, you will see that there's disparity between what the government, what the Congress said unwed mothers can do to transfer citizenship as opposed to unwed fathers. And the court in this decision um, said something really interesting on this. And I think their decision, which, by the way, it was a 7-2 decision written by Justice uh, Ginsburg, joined in by Roberts and Kennedy, Breyer, Sotomayor, and Kagan. Um, Thomas filed a concurring in part, and uh, Gorsuch and Alito joined him, and Gorsuch wasn't part of the decision. So it was a 6-2 decision, really 8-0 when you look at the part of the judgment that was concurred in. But here's what's interesting. What the Supreme Court has done, David, and I think you're aware of this, in many cases over the last several years, the court has crafted a remedy. The court has said, well, Congress didn't do something, so and, it's, and what they did do was illegal. We're going to craft our own remedy. And they specifically did not do that here, which I found and a lot of people found was really quite stunning. Um, So uh, 
Here, the government asserted that Congress uh, uh, had a legitimate reason for doing this. Uh, this court says, look, you know what? We are not going to say that uh, 1409C's exception for unwed mothers should be the rule to displace the rule pertaining to unwed fathers because if the court applied the unwed mother standard, then Luis would be a U.S. citizen. So if it was his mother that had moved back when she was 18 months and 345 days, then he's absolutely a U.S. citizen without doubt. So in the past, you might have seen the court say, you know what, uh, we're going to go ahead and say that the mother rule should apply and uh, therefore, you know, you're a citizen. But they did not do that here. Uh, what they said was Congress needs to step in and make the decision on this case. Um, and uh, they haven't done so. And my query is to the Congress, is when are they going to do so? Let's follow up on our analysis of this case when we come back here on the break on America's Web Radio. Si usted ha casado con un ciudadano o tiene problemas con inmigración o tiene una oferta de trabajo, llama a los abogados de Cook Immigration Partners. Somos en su lado. Con más de 100 años de experiencia en la ley de inmigración, conocemos la ley y sabemos cómo ayudarle. Llámanos hoy a las 404-816-8611, a las 404-816-8611, o visítenos al www.immigration.net. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. This is Lawyer Liz. Join me each week as we discuss drones, the Internet of Things, and all the technology in between. It's Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz, Wednesdays at 2. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business, or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules, or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. This is America's WebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to America's Web Radio. So, David, the Supreme Court in the uh, in the uh, uh, in this case, Morales Santana, uh, said this, and this is really telling. In sum, the government has advanced no exceedingly persuasive justification for Section 1409A's and C's gender-specific residency and age criteria. These disparate criteria we hold cannot withstand inspection under a constitution that requires the government to respect the equal dignity and stature of its male and female citizens. But here's the money part. While equal protection and firmity in retaining a longer physical president's requirements for unwed fathers than for unwed mothers, it's clear this court is not equipped to grant the relief Morales Santana seeks extending to his father and derivatively to him the benefit of the one-year physical term in 1409OC reserves for unwed mothers. That's powerful because I will tell you, I believe that two, three, four, or five years ago or a decade ago, the court would have said, no, we're going to apply the mother standard and that's it. Um, and they re actually rely on a 19... Uh, uh, 
70 case called Westcote uh, uh, versus the United States that says when a statute benefits one class and excludes another from the benefit, the court may either declare the statute a nullity and order that its benefits not extend to the class that the legislature intended to benefit or it may extend the coverage of the statute to include those who are aggrieved by the exclusion. Uh, So they could have done that, but they choose here not to do so, I think, David, in order to get Roberts and Kennedy on board this decision. I think Roberts and Kennedy said, okay, we we think it's unjust, it's clearly unjust for equal protection, Uh, but we don't think you should be creating law. Isn't that the big complaint about the Supreme Court? They create law? We're not going to create law. We're just going to say this is unconstitutional. Go back and take another jab at this. Um, uh, here, Ginsburg says, ordinarily, we have reiterated, extension rather than nullification is the proper course. Uh, here, however, the dis- discriminatory exception consists of favorable treatment for a discrete group. Uh, following the same approach as the benefits case, leads here to extend the general rule of longer physical requirements to cover the previously favored group. So they say, look, if we were going to do this, we'd probably cut off the mothers and put them on the longer track rather than cutting off the fathers and putting them on the shorter track. Um, and uh, it's, uh, I think, to the benefit of everybody, the court didn't do this. Because, David, what do you do to the children who, who over the last 50 years have derived citizenship from their mothers uh, we, and they change the law today. Do you then say, oh, sorry, give us your citizenship back? No, you weren't going to do that, right? Um, uh, so it, this, this could have major consequences, <clears throat> and we will see uh, how the Supreme Court instructions to, uh, to the Congress are, are going to be held. I'm just curious uh, to, do it, to, to do that. Uh, now, Justice Thomas and Alito said this in a very short concurring opinion. Uh, the court holds today that we are, quote, not equipped, close quote, to remedy the equal protection injury the respondent claims his so- father suffered. I agree with that holding. As the majority concludes, um, the one-year physical presence requirement to unwed citizen fathers is not, under this court's precedent, an appropriate remedy. Indeed, I am skeptical that we ha- even have the power to, pr- to provide the relief of the sort requested in a suit, namely conferral of citizenship on a basis other than that prescribed by Congress. The court's remedial holding resolved this case. Because the respondent cannot obtain relief in any event, it is unnecessary for us to decide which of the 92 version of the INA was constitutional, whether the respondent has a third party to raise his claim or anything else is constitutionality. Therefore, I concur only in the judgment reversing the Second Circuit. So, I mean, typical kind of, you know, Thomas kind of concurring opinion. Uh, but I, I think that was powerful. I thought it was very, very powerful, uh, and it, it has a it has a major implication for not millions of people, but for thousands of people every single year who are in that situation. Now, David, I want to take a step back from the Supreme Court now, and we're going to go to the Ninth Circuit. I know you one day when you retire, whenever that is, David, you're going to go, man, honey, let's move to the Ninth Circuit, where all the flowers bloom. bloom all the marriages are happy, and all the children live in bliss. Uh, and this way, you can toke your life away in complete, complete benefit. Uh, now, Donald Trump, I don't know if you've heard, but he's still president. David, I have to ask you, did you watch the video of the cabinet meeting from yesterday? I have to ask. 
Oh, David, when you have an extra, even even just the summary reviews, if, if you get a chance, please watch it. it. It'll be really good for a chuckle. And then watch Chuck Schumer, again, you're one of your favorite politicians, parody of that because it's also really quite funny. Uh, the complete emasculation of billionaires and titans of industry was fascinating to this guy. Um, so, as you know, David, the Ninth Circuit ruled yesterday, um, and uh, they said the exact same thing that the Fourth Circuit said uh, when it ruled a week or so ago on this package, but did so in a little bit different process. Uh, but I want to get to, and we're going to get to the analysis of that travel ban, uh, of the Muslim ban by Trump, but apparently nobody has taken Trump's telephone away from him. Because he still tweeted about this yesterday. And he said this, well, actually I think he, I think he, today's the 13th, right David? Is today the 13th? So it was today he tweeted uh, at 6.44 a.m. Quote, well, comma, as predicted, comma, I don't know if you saw that prediction or not, the Ninth Circuit did it again, dash, ruled against the travel ban, all in capitals, travel ban, at such a dangerous time in the history of our country, period, capital S, capital C. So my question, David, is what does South Carolina have to do with the travel ban? I'm, I'm just curious. Oh, that might actually mean the Supreme Court. Probably don't want to use, maybe it's the S period, and there's no space between the C. Was he running out of characters, maybe? I, I, I don't know. He does know they roll over to a second text. I, I don't know. So it looks like Donald uh, may be um, appealing to the Supreme Court. Um, here's my question for you, Dave. You're an outsider. You, you know, you look at this stuff and you kind of roll your eyes sometimes. Will the Supreme Court take this case? Is standing, I guess? I mean, you know they don't take all the cases they get before. They only take 80 or so a year. What, you know, Supreme Court takes cases in which there is a controversy, in which there is a a matter of great constitutional import. Well, there's, there's got, they have one right now, don't they? Well, they got, they, I think they have four or five immigration cases still pending before them. But why would they take this case? Because I assume the fourth and the ninth appeals would then merge into the uh, Supreme Court case. Is there anything of great constitutional import? I mean, I'm just curious. I, they need four votes to give cert, right? That's four votes to get it. Um, Will they get four votes? I mean, what is controversial about the decision? I mean, what what is what is of constitutional import here? Uh, you know, I the, I think the law is quite clear on this. I think the, the facts of the case are quite clear. Uh, if we harken back to the case they just ruled on, an equal protection claim, which had you know vast consequences for people. And here's my bigger question, David. Do you know what, when I say the word moot, you know what that means, right? I mean, is, is, there, is there a case in controversy? Is there an issue here? Trump's Muslim ban barred travel from certain countries for 90 days. Initially, starting January, what was it, 25th, 5th, or 4th, or 30th, something like that? David, are we 90 days past that date? I mean, think, what day are we on the Trump presidency? 150 or so? Um... So it, how is this even relevant anymore? And they also had a 120-day pause on refugees. 
You know, do you know we've we've actually admitted more refugees this year than last year year to date? Did you know that? Most people don't really realize that. So yes, and that's probably pipeline issue as opposed to processing issues. But still, what has the and the Trump administration and his travel ban said? We need this pause so we can come up with better vetting procedures. Okay, it's been five months. Long past the 90 days you wanted, what have you come up with? What have you gotten? Well, we do know that they have uh, created a longer questionnaire for people from certain countries or with certain backgrounds. Uh, And now, rather than asking for information over the last five or ten years, they want information about you over the last 15 years. Okay. And we also know from facts that the travel from those six countries is far, and visa issuance from those countries is far, far lower than it has been ever, certainly compared to last year. So what's the purpose of the Supreme Court taking the case at this point? The Trump administration wanted time to work on it. Okay, I'll give them time. So you've got time now. What, what did you do? And here's that this is, this is a great scam, Dave, and this is why it hurts Trump. If they would come out and say, you know, we've had 180 days, here's what we've done, boom, 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 we don't need this ban anymore, why do they keep pushing it? What is, and it, that actually hurts them because it, what that says is then it really is about religion and about fear of a religion as opposed to the people individually coming in. So by not doing anything or really realizing there was nothing to do, the, the Clinton, Bush, and Obama administrations had a vast, vetting, quote, vetting procedure in place uh, and has gotten better and better every single year. And all you did was tweak the process to ask for five year more years of data, realizing there's not much more you can legally do to make or even physically do to get the vetting short of having a lie detector test or a brainwave transmitter on every visa applicant. Um, so... What then is the remaining purpose? And the remaining purpose can only be that there's an issue of religion. And that's, that hurts Trump. I mean, that goes, and that's the point that I think the Ninth Circuit really, uh, really seized on here. Um, and uh, that is, and that's what's very different between the Ninth and the Fourth Circuit decision. Uh, now, in this case, um, uh, and I told you last week, one of the justices, uh, judges on the Ninth Circuit, Hawkins, uh, on this case, I used to work for him back in the long days, long ago, long past, uh, and they wrote decision per curiam, which means it was unanimous from the three, the three just, just judges of the Ninth Circuit. Uh, I have found that um, when you get a per curiam decision, uh, you're going to have a hard time getting that reversed at the Supreme Court, in my experience. And so, what what the Fourth Circuit relied upon was this whole series of pre-campaign statements, pre-presidency statements by Trump and his surrogates and his minions talking about keeping Muslims out of the country. We're going to keep them all out. Um, and the counter-argument was, well, you can't use a candidate's statements. I mean, they're candidates. Of course they're going to lie. Of course they're going to be full of hyperbole. Of course... You can't really take them seriously. 
um, even though Trump's whole campaign was based upon the fact that he was going to be different from every politician. So nobody is, you know, nobody's laughing at that monumental hypocrisy. Uh, but without looking at, okay, let's look at the things that Trump has done since he was president. Uh, and that's what happened here. Uh, many people, lawyers, will tell you, said, bad facts make bad law, David. And there was bad, necessarily bad facts. Okay, well, Trump said this in the campaign, and, and Giuliani said this, and Miller said that, and Bannon said this. And, you know, uh, an opinion applying religion, equal questions, even ones blatantly bigoted, could also stir unpredictable questions on the road. Let's come back and look at the Ninth Circuit's actually decision to see how they dodge these issues and why it sets it up either for a Supreme Court sustaining them or not even taking the case. We'll be back in a minute on America's Web Radio. Soy Charles Cook, del Buffet de Abogados Cook Immigration Partners. Si usted tiene problemas con inmigración, llámenos hoy. Conocemos la ley. Sabemos cómo ayudarle. Si hay algo que se puede hacer, nosotros lo podemos hacer. Llámenos a las 404-816-8611. A las 404-816-8611. O visítenos por el internet a la www.immigration.net. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business, or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules, or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200, or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. The Ninth Circuit here did something very, very interesting. The court actually never ruled on constitutional issues, David. They did not use the First Amendment. They did not use Equal Protection Clause, and that is key. Uh, they also made no mention, almost no mention, of Trump's tweets and speeches. Instead, they decided that Trump's ban was unlawful because, in promulgating it, he did not follow the procedures and rules of the Immigration and Nationality Act. Um, and uh, it narrowed the court's order by telling the administration it is free to begin its internal study of extreme betting on the chance that it someday come to effect. So they, they, they could be doing extreme betting. They could be doing it all along, but they haven't done it. The court expressed um, this perfectly ordinary administratively, administrative law judgment in an unsigned per curiam decision, a designation usually applied to unanimous decisions that don't address any novel or interesting issues. Nothing to see here. This is actually from a great article uh, written by um, uh, Garrett Epps, which appeared in The Atlantic. Uh, so it is, uh, it is uh, it were certainly worth a read. Uh, and it's just very, uh, I mean, it goes right to the point. I mean, it just is stunning. Uh, nothing to see here, the court seem to be saying. As an added benefit, because no single judge signed the order, perhaps no single judge will be subject as the, the district judge to death threats and requiring around-the-clock protection. 
First, the panel wrote, the INA provides procedures for a president to follow in limiting immigration. Trump ignored those procedures, and thus his order is invalid. Second, the statutes Trump cites in the ban actually don't give him the substantive authority to discriminate in every bi-nationality. Thus, the vexing issues of religious discrimination and Trump's true intent don't arise. His lawyers relied on one provision, 8 U.S.C. 1182, F., Quote, whenever the president finds that the entry of any alien would be detrimental to the United States, he may, by proclamation, and for such period as he shall deem necessary, suspend the entry of all aliens or any class of aliens as immigrants or non-immigrants, or impose on the entry of aliens any restriction he may deem appropriate. And we've talked on the show about this before. This seems like a fairly sweeping grant of power, but the Ninth Circuit panel um, said this, the order contains no sufficient finding that the entry of the excluded classes would be detrimental to the interests of the United States. To not lawyer, non-lawyers, this is like, oh, just playing with words. But words have meaning. So in the administrative law, the difference between statements and findings are important. Courts often invalidate major executive programs because administrative procedures, like not making factual findings for holding hearings, have not been followed. For example, consider Obama's Deferred Action Program for DAPA. The district court blocked that program did so because it concluded that Obama did not follow administrative laws, which, David, you and I have talked about for two years, almost three years, that Obama followed the damn rules and you won't have this problem. Uh, The Court of Appeals affirmed on the grounds the statute didn't allow the program. In the travel ban case, the Ninth Circuit effect combined both approaches, procedure and substance. So here's your reality. Trump didn't follow his rules. And that gets me, David, to our last case we want to talk about today, which is Jessica Colodal's case. And we mentioned last week Jessica um, uh, is uh, a, uh, a wonderful young woman uh, who uh, lives here in Atlanta, Georgia. She was one of the original dreamers in 2010 to come to national attention. Uh, she currently has been working for the last six years as a paralegal, is just a really, truly one of the finest human beings that I know. Just tremendously, I mean, she's an extraordinary young woman. Um, and uh, we, uh, she had her DACA taken away by ICE and USCIS saying, quote, you are a priority for removal, whatever that meant. And if you remember from last week, they talked about her having a conviction, which they then admitted in their brief uh, they did, she did not have. So in the order... And, and that when the motion they filed with the immigration court, they said Jessica has a criminal conviction and is deportable. In the and we can complain. No, she doesn't. She doesn't have a conviction for immigration purposes at all. There was a charge against her which was dismissed after pretrial diversion because they had no basis in law. Um, and uh, what happened at that point was we filed our TRO last uh, two weeks ago. Uh, the ACLO joined us. And we filed our brief last week. The government filed its brief uh, in response to that uh, last um, a week, about 10 days ago. We filed our reply brief on Monday. And on Thursday last week, was, was it Thursday? Yeah, Thursday last week, we had oral argument in front of Judge Cohen here in, here in Georgia. Now, Judge Cohen is a relatively new judge on the district court here in Georgia, a terrific uh, lawyer was a lawyer in private practice for many years uh, before he was appointed to the bench by President Obama. And um, he issued, he told us on or in argument, I will likely issue a decision in this case by at the latest the middle of next week. So we were hoping by Wednesday we would have a decision. 
Yesterday at 2 o'clock, it popped up in my inbox. It is a 33-page decision, which does a remarkable job uh, talking about the case. Now, if anybody listening, they want to see a copy of it because it goes through the law. So if you have DACA kids that have their DACA revoked and you don't know why, there's a lawsuit for you to file to get that information. This is the first lawsuit in the country that we're aware of challenging the revocation of a DACA against a DACA recipient. As far as we know, there has been no other lawsuit filed. Now, we were fortunate enough to have our friends at the ACLU Immigrant Rights Project to join us in this lawsuit. And they have been, Katrina Island uh, has been remarkable. Uh, Jennifer has been remarkable. They're based out of San Francisco. Uh, The local ACLU folks have been just tremendous. Um, And I don't want to give some sycophantic praise to them like in a cabinet meeting, but the reality is we could not have done it without them. Uh, an oral argument was divided into two parts. My part was talking about the harm to Jessica and who she was as a person and individual. To, to let the court know this is a human being. It's not a, not, it's not a brown folder on somebody's desk. It's a human being whose life has been extraordinarily disrupted by this. Um, and uh, uh, they took care of the what we call the jurisdictional arguments. Uh, so I would encourage anybody who wants, to, who wants to read this, email me at ccook at immigration.net. I'll send you a Dropbox. It's also up on my web. It's up on my uh, Facebook page and on our firm's Facebook page at Cook Immigration Partners. You can take a look at that. Um, but what the judge said was, was the oral argument, David, was just stunning. And I have to tell you this, because in the government's brief, um, they, uh, uh, they talk about uh, that Jessica, in fact, does not have a conviction. So in their press release, they said Jessica was a, is going to be deported because she has a conviction for immigration purposes. And then, then in their own brief, they said, no, no, she doesn't have a conviction. We, so I asked the reporter, when are you going to challenge ICE that they lied to you? Because here's the reality. of it: This is not an interpretation of the law. The law on this is 25 years old. She does not have a conviction, period. So when the press person comes out and says that, that's an actual lie. It's not a mistake. It's an intentional lie. And we called them on it. So this is what the judge wrote. Uh, the, ju- the other reason was, well, she's a priority for removal under the Kelly memo. Secretary Kelly issued a, a memo in, in late February that said, hey, here's who we're going to deport. And um, they said, well, she, well, she's a priority under deportation. Okay, wh- how? But that memo specifically excludes DACA. Specifically excludes DACA. So it doesn't apply to DACA kids. Um, so here's what it said here. This is a paragraph starting on 18. In addition, DHS has published on its website a series of questions and answers related to how the Kelly memo will be implemented operationally. The document poses the question, quote, do these memoranda affect recipients of deferred action for childhood arrivals, DACA? The answer is clear and unambiguous, quote, no. No. And here's, here's the meat. This, and this was, I, I was looking at my co-counsel when this was going on, and we are like, oh, my gosh. Counsel for Defendants was unable to provide the court the actual reason for the decisions to terminate plaintiff's DACA status and deny her renewal application. And they they quote their own motion. Counsel for Defendants, the government, confirmed that plaintiff's pretrial diversion agreement is not considered to be a conviction for immigration purposes, but speculated that USCIS may have considered plaintiff's misdemeanor conviction for driving without a license which defendants were aware of since 2010, as well as the Kelly memo, which, as stated, specifically excludes the DACA program, may have been the reason. Likewise, defendants were unable to confirm 
that their own operating procedures were followed with respect to the review of the plaintiff's renewal application. Um, and the court then goes to a, into a long and lengthy analysis of the government's options here and how they literally did not follow. He said there's three reasons you could have revoked it. One, you could have revoked uh, her DACA uh, if there was an intent to deny. We're going to send you a notice. Hey, you're going to deny you. They never did that. Okay, So you didn't follow your own procedures. Two, you can deny it if you discover there was an error in granting her relief because she was an egregious public safety exception. Quote, defendants, however, have foreclosed this as a viable option that re- admitting that her pre-trial diversion was not a conviction. Okay, so that's out. And then the third scenario was a doc can be terminated without notice if after consultation, blah, 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 you got to do all these things. However, there's nothing in the record that says this was done because it wasn't done. Um, so every reason uh, that could have been given for revoking her doctor is gone. It is evident that nothing in the record before the court indicates there is irrefutable evidence that plaintiff falls under one of the enumerated criteria that would permit USAS to deny her request for renewal of her DACA status. In addition, the record lacks any evidence that a request for adjudicative guidance was made, made to justify a, quote, straight denial of a request for you when there's no record to report such evidence. Um, it's just stunning, David. And then, of course, the court's final order was the best part of this. Uh, it is ordered that plaintiff's status under DACA be preliminary. Memorials and program is preliminarily enjoined determination. Second, ordered they restore her DACA status. Uh, three, they restore uh, her employment authorization. Four, that they adjudicate her renewal application in, in light of the standard operating procedures. And five, that this order is in effect until defendants have submitted sufficient proof that they have followed all relevant SOPs regarding the renewal and termination of DACA status. Bam, take it home. It was a great day for immigrants yesterday and a great day for immigrant rights. Um, We'll talk to you next week on the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. Until then, have a great week.